Hi, my name is Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church. Now, regardless of who's communicating on today's message, the one ask that we have for you is that you would test all things by the Word of God, holding fast to what is true. That comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, if you are not a part of our local church, this is important. Please lean in. We hope and we pray that this sermon today would be a supplement and not a substitute for you leaning into your local church as your primary place where you're being edified. We believe that the Bible describes and prescribes loudly that the best way for us to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus is to be around other believers in the context of consistent community. That is so important for your life. So without any further ado, I do pray that today's uh, message would be convicting and challenging and ultimately encouraging for your soul and your walk. Grace and peace. All right, good evening. I don't, I'm just saying good morning. Good evening, Redemption City. How are we doing? Good. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's my joy to see each and every one of you guys this evening. I've been away for a couple of days. I'm ready and excited to be back. Um, there's no better time to do church, really on a Saturday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Monday night, every day, every night. I'm excited to talk about the things of the Lord. If you don't know, my name is Brandon. I'm the, one of the elders and the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church. And so if you're new today, um, I don't know if we have any guests, we're working really hard. And this is actually for attenders or covenant members. We're working really hard in 2020 to be marked by several things and to really grow our church and being marked by these things. And so we went through the DNA series and we looked at at these eight marks. But what I really want to lift up this evening is being marked by our mission statement. We really, really want to become a covenant family that is marked by our mission statement so that we can become a helpful presence in our community. And so we're going to put that mission statement up. And so let's just be reminded. I'm going to do this for several weeks now so we can be reminded of who we are and what our goal is as a church. And so here it is. Redemption City Church exists to glorify God by making disciples through gospel-centered worship, service, covenant family, and multiplication, right? We, as a church, we are resolved to risk our comfort so that we might reach our city with a message that can release freedom in Jesus in order that many would experience a redeemed life in Christ. So we're going to do something today because this is this is a this is a Saturday night service, just like last week. But this is this is a conversation. I want you guys to participate throughout the sermon. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this now as a body of Christ. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to lift your voices up to say it loudly alongside of me. Here we go. One, two, three. Redemption City Church exists to glorify God by making disciples through gospel center worship service. Covenant family and multiplication. We are resolved to risk our comfort so that we can reach our city with a message that can release freedom to Jesus in order that many would experience a redeemed life in Christ. Now that sounds beautiful, right? Let's clap up for the people of God to read our mission statement because this is why we exist. And so the real question we posed it last week, I'm going to pose it again this evening, is this. Here's the big question. 
How are you presently, right now, in your day-to-day life, risking your comfort so that you, specifically, and your family are best positioned to reach this city and connect with this family? How are you doing that? I, I need you to really enter. So, so for this service to work, you, you have to get in the game. You have to involve. You've got to think, how am I doing that? How can I move deeper into risking my personal comfort, risking some things that maybe me and my family do so that I'm, I'm able to better connect at Redemption City Church and then become more helpful in the community. And so if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, I hope you bring your Bibles to church, I want you to open them to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. We're going to be looking at this scripture in just a little bit. We are using primarily as a church the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible. It doesn't mean that our church won't sometimes read out of different translations, but what it does mean is that, that is what we as elders, me and Pastor Jack, we've sat down, we've prayed and discerned, and we've said we want our church to read as their primary translation this book. And so I really want to give a strong exhortation. If you have not, there's going to be a lot of that today. This is going to be less like an Ephesians type of a service and much more engaging and thinking. So here's my next question to you. If, because we're in Vision Sundays about our church going to the next place. If you do not own an ESV standard, uh, English standard version of the Bible, and you know you do not own one, my ask is that you take care of that this week. That this week you would go and you would go get yourself an ESV version so that you could be able to participate whether that's through leadership positions with our kids when you're serving, that we would be able to have that unified language. Listen, for your personal discipleship time, I read out of the NLT, the NIV, the King James. I even will use the message. There's a lot of things that I use for my personal devotion. But corporately, I would love to invite you guys into having that translation of the Bible. Now, let's look at last week for a second so that we can wisely launch forward into what we got him for us tonight. Last week on Vision Sunday Part 1, we explored our story as a church. And it started many, many years ago when the Lord was stirring things up in my heart. And so we kind of talked about that. We saw how suffering played into that. And then as Pastor Jack said so eloquently today, I almost was like, well, I don't even want to do anything right here because he did it so well. The collision of stories, the God of the universe colliding stories at the perfect time, at the perfect place for the right reasons. And that's going to be important today. For the right reasons. We want to exist as a church for good, right, and true reasons. Not just to exist to exist. Not to make much of our own name. Not to make much of just our friendship circles, but to make much of Christ. And we want to be in the right spot in 2020 at exactly the right time. And so today's message is titled, Sowing into our present and future to reap all, not some, not a little bit, not a fraction, to reap every single blessing that God has for us as a church. So this is going to be an amazing opportunity for, for, for me to really share these three things. Um, <clears throat> where is the Lord guiding our church into this year? Where, where's the Lord leading us? What is your part in that equation? And what is my part in that equation? And how can we set ourselves up to really experience tremendous blessings in 2020, if we do two things, if we believe and we have faith and we act upon that, it's going to require two things. Let me do it again. If we believe that God is with us and then we act, 
in a way that demonstrates that our faith is genuine. So let's look at Proverbs 11, verses 24 to 25. It'll be on the screen because it really sets the stage for what we're talking about today. This is the word of the Lord. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And another withholds what he should give. Hmm. And what happens? He only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. Now, what I want you to notice is the freedom component here going on within this giving. I want you to look at that on the screen or in your Bible. There's a freedom component that's super critical. Like, what's that all about? And, and why do we suffer when we withhold things? What, what, what is the author, the inspired author, trying to communicate? What, what's, what suffering happens when we're withholding the things that we should give? And how, how do we really become someone who is watered as we water others? What does it mean to be watered by God, to be watered by the scriptures, to be watered in our life as we water other people. So I want to explore these things today, and I want to see what God may stir up in us as a church community. All right? So let's explore that, and let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for every single man and woman that is gathered here tonight. I thank you for your marvelous call upon their lives and my life. Holy Spirit, help us, speak to us, lead us, convict us all the way into a deeper and wider holiness so that we might all the better worship and glorify your name. That's why we're here, God. Patient Father and cultivator of our souls, I pray this would be not just a routine Sunday, not just a routine message. Don't let it be, but rather share with us exactly where your heart's at for our church, what your vision is for this church so that we might run after what you have laid before us. May we catch a vision tonight, a God-centered, ordained vision of who you are calling us specifically to be as Redemption City Church, as ambassadors of your word. It's because of your beautiful and worthy name we pray. Amen. So let's look at our mission statement one more time, but I want us to focus on a part, one specific part that I have bolded and underlined. So it says that we exist to glorify God. This is what it means. Another way, if you ever wonder, what does it mean to glorify God? Glorify is a weird word. Here's another way of thinking about it. We exist to make much of God, to lift up God, to position him as supreme and high in our lives. So what are some things we glorify in, our, in the natural world? We glorify sports teams. How do we glorify them? Because I want to build a, a wise bridge to how we do this every day of our lives in America so we can understand how that should be attributed to the God of the universe. So glorifying a sports team plays out like it becomes a central focus of your life. Consider this, those of you who like sports, you kind of build your schedule around it. It's Super Bowl Sunday. It's the playoffs. You know that on Thursday nights, there's going to be a TNC game for the NBA. So you start to shape your life around something you deem very important in your life. It stirs up a multitude of emotions when you are glorifying something or someone. So if it's a sports, what is it? So it makes you get really excited and happy. It can bring tears and frustration, anger. It explores the full spectrum of our 
emotions. And so when we say we want to glorify God and we want to make much of God and we want to lift God up, it's to say that he becomes central in our lives in such a way that our time and our schedules begin to move and shape around how we can spend time with God. You tracking with me? And, and then we get to explore the, the, the full brevet, the full spectrum of our emotions with him. There's times where we are excited in the presence of God, where we want to sing and cheer thank you to our God. There's times where we want to weep in the presence of our God. To glorify God is to allow every part of you to be attributed to him. Amen? Does that make sense? So we want to do that. So we exist to glorify God, to make much of God, to make him central, and to share the fullness of our emotions. And we want to do that by making disciples. We want to do that by making disciples through gospel-centered worship, service, covenant family, and multiplication. But here's, here, here, here's the big one right here. We need to be resolved as a church to risk our comfort. There's no way that we can reach our city if we don't risk some things. I want you to repeat after me. We cannot reach our city if we are not willing to risk our comfort. Perhaps that can play out like in your time. It can play out with resources, relationships, goals, and probably the biggest one, just little personal preferences that get in the way of maybe the Holy Spirit whispering something very important in your life. It's not always going to be dramatic like, I don't want to go to church. It's not going to always be dramatic like, okay, I'm never going to give. It can be slight preferences that distract you from hearing the still, small whisper of the Holy Spirit. We want to avoid that. So what does it actually mean for us to prepare ourselves to risk our comfort? Well, one of the ways that we want to risk our comfort is always being in a posture ready to sow seeds. We want to be ready to sow seeds, to risk our comfort, and to sow seeds. So look at, let's look at a definition right now from the King James Bible definition of what it means to sow seeds. Here, here it is. So, the, sowing seeds is this, the process of scattering seeds as into the ground. Sprinkling with seed or stalking of seed in the earth. Now, in order for us to understand what this whole sowing of seeds means from a biblical perspective, we need to have an understanding historically of why sowing and reaping is always talked about in the Old and the New Testament. So think about this. In the Bible times originally written, when the inspired authors were writing, they were writing to their intended audience. And during that time, they were living in a very agrarian society. What that means is that it was very normal, and it was very, um, how do you say this, it was very normal, and it was customary that everyone would have the understanding of the agrarian lifestyle, it, meaning a farmer lifestyle, okay? So using words like sowing and reaping and planting and pulling and weeds and all these things would have been very normal, whether you were actually a farmer or not, it would have been very normal to understand, and so as we begin to look at sowing and, and reaping, I want to look at seven gigantic principles. These are up, right? Seven gigantic principles about sowing and reaping so we can be prepared as a church to have a vision to go where the Lord is calling us to go. So let's look at the first one. Principle number one. Sowing and reaping is etched 
into creation. It's a part of a natural law. It's so important that we build an understanding biblically of how these things so often start right in Genesis. I love how many things start in Genesis and then point up to Christ and how Christ points back to creation. And you have this beautiful thing going on all the time. So let's consider Genesis chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to look at that right now. This is what the word of the Lord says. The earth brought forth vegetation. Okay, I want you to listen with me. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So right from the beginning of creation, we see the principle of sowing of seed, namely God. He he planted some things when he was creating. And we saw that there was a reaping that happened because of what God sowed into creation. And it wouldn't be very long until we, as mankind, man and woman, would join our Heavenly Father in this kind of cultivating and taking care of the land and and joining Him. He was the first sower. Amen? He sowed the first seed when He spoke it into existence. And so as as He sowed that beautiful, first, perfect, blameless, holy seed of creation and it germinated up, there was a fruit that we got to enjoy. But in his love, in the triune love of the God of the universe, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, supreme love, not lacking anything, but out of their love wanted to share it, so then they created us. We got to join in the stewardship of the lands, and sowing began, I mean, sowing became part of what we would join him in. And as we sow, there would be blessings or a reaping or a harvest that would come to follow. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, just 10 verses down in your Bible-ish. And God said, behold, you know what behold means, right? Pay attention. I'm going to say something supremely important. Look, be amazed. Wow. Okay, I don't want you to miss this word. Behold, hold this intention. I have given you every plant yielding seed. Look, son. Look, daughter. Look at what I've done. I've given you every plant. And it's yielding. It's reaping with seeds. It's all over the earth. And every tree, seed, and it's fruit. And you shall have them for food. So God was sowing something. There was a reaping that led to us having what we need to eat. Therefore, ever since the beginning, we have been called to participate in the process of sowing and reaping so that two things could happen. This is just like biblical manhood and womanhood. I don't want to just jump to where you may think we're going, okay? So, so two things were happening right here in Genesis. Two things happened when we sow, we reap, when God started it. One, he does this for man's benefit. God loves his children. And second, he does it for his glory and his name. The order is he does it for his glory and out of his glorifying God, we get satisfaction. There's a benefit we get when we lift up God and we make much of God. When we behold the things that God wants us to behold that he's done for us. Wow, 
thank you, God, for, I, I'm like a little kid, like a butterfly. I'm, just, I'm looking at butterflies. I'm looking, so many things. Ooh, ah, ah, I'm so distracted. Then my, my, my heavenly father calls out, behold, and it, behold, look at what I've done, Brandon. Focus, focus. And that leads me to go, wow, God, you've done this. You've created this. You've sown this. I'm reaping the benefits of this. Thank you, Father. I glorify your name. And as I glorify him, what is the benefit I'm getting? I'm happy. <laughs> I'm satisfied. I'm experiencing the relationship of God. And then he did something amazing. He said, hey, Brandon. Hey, hey, Redemption City Church member. Hey, attender. Hey, visitor. I want you to join me in this. I want you to start sowing some things so some other people can reap some things. So my name can be glorified some more. And so everyone can be, get the benefit and be satisfied in that. And that is good news. So what's one important takeaway for Redemption City Church? Here it is. When we sow good seeds, God causes them to grow and they yield fruit. And the reaping of that fruit will be our blessing, bringing glory to our God. When we sow good seeds, of course, the next thing you should be thinking is, what are those good seeds, right? We're going to get there. When we sow good seeds, God causes them to grow. When they're good, he'll, he'll grow them. And they will yield fruit. This is a biblical principle. They will. What it looks like is another conversation. But they, they will yield fruit. And the reaping of that fruit, so, that, so the results of that fruit, that's our blessing that God gave us. That's our blessing. And that brings glory to God. <clears throat> so what are the three main categories? Because if you're thinking, well, it's like, well, what, what, what kind of seeds are we, are we supposed to sow? What, what, God, what are you calling us to sow as a church? What are you calling me to sow as an individual? What are you calling me to sow as a, as a specific family in here? My family, the Rochelle family. What are you calling us to sow? So here goes the first one. We are called to sow seeds of discipleship. Okay, we have three types of seeds, and I want to lean into them, and I want to march through them slowly and faithfully and biblically, and I'm asking you to lean in and to find your part in it. We are called to sow seeds of discipleship. Folks, if we do not sow good seeds of discipleship, this church will not continue to exist. It just is what it is. This is a biblical principle. It's been etched into the beginning of creation. And if we don't sow seeds of discipleship, redemption seizures cannot continue to exist. So we need to understand well, how do we sow this good seed of discipleship. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. This is the word of the Lord, right? This is Jesus. He's already risen from the dead. He's getting ready to go back to sit on the right hand of the Father. It's one of, the one of my favorite verses that I love to, 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 to swim in. And here's the word of the Lord. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is after they had just got done doubting all over again. Even though he had been risen from the dead, holes in his wrist, hole in his side, 
They're watching him continue to do miraculous, weird, strange things, but some are still doubting. He is a good, good God. He did not rebuke them in that moment. He did not condemn them in that moment, but in that moment, but he decided to use this moment to send another exhortation and encouragement for them. It still means it's an encouragement for you and for me. And so he said he came to them in the midst of their doubt as they're prepared to live this whole life of sowing. They were having doubt in how to do these things, you see, because they still were doubting that Christ would supply them with what they needed. There was still a lack of surrender. We talked about that. We got to surrender if we want to see our Heavenly Father supply. And so here's how he answered this, this, this epidemic that was happening, this, this difficulty of surrendering, this difficulty of believing that he would supply. He came to them and he reminded them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, in the original translation, it doesn't say, the ESV still, still does it the best, but the original translation doesn't say go therefore and make disciples. It says go therefore and disciple. And that's super important as we're talking about sowing and reaping and how God is the only one that grows. God alone makes disciples. Amen? Let me say that again. God alone makes, converts, awakens the heart, opens the eyes of a disciple. We do not have that power. So before we can lean into this discipleship seed, I want to make sure we know what our part is versus God's part. We can't make anything. God is the grower, but we get to participate as ambassadors in discipleship. So let's read it in the original translation a little closer. Go therefore and disciple all nations, every kind of people, you want to be looking to disciple, baptizing them, washing them in the name. What does that mean? That the, the things of God, the Bible, wash them in, in, in all of what it means to be a Bible-living Christian, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We looked at that in Ephesians. This is all going to collide together, those who have been tracking with us. Listen, baptize them in the name of the, and the blessings of the Father. What does he bless us with? Being chosen and adopted. Baptize them in the name and in the power of all that the Son has done to redeem us. So you see what's going on? And because of his sacrifice to, for, to forgive us. You, 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 you do that. You, you, you share that. You disciple that into the people God has put in front of you. These attachments. that You see what's happening? Everything we've done from DNA, Ephesians, all collides today. So we, 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 we look at the attachments in our life and we say, man, you've been forgiven. You've been redeemed, but we're not done. And then we do that. We baptize them. We wash them through with water over what the Holy Spirit has done, sealing them and equipping them forever to be rich in God. Then we, we teach them a function of discipleship. You have to teach. We all are called to be ministers. We teach them to obey the word of God above all things. And we do that because we believe that Jesus is going to be with us always to the ends of the age. So here are three questions I have for you to faithfully explore right now in our sermon about discipleship. Here we go. Number one, who is your one person for 2020 within your local context that you can disciple? Who is that person? It doesn't matter if you're a leader in our church or not. Who is your one person? How might you, if you know that person, you should write it down. 
Be intentional. How might you take steps now, not two weeks from now, not five months from now? How can you take steps to risk your comfort, time, the way you're doing your life, your rhythms, your preferences, your schedule, your job? How do you move the needle, risk your comfort, so that you can help someone take steps to Christ? This must become real, folks. We, you can't keep coming to church hearing the precious word of God that men and women literally died for, were hanged for, were crucified for, were beheaded for, were stabbed to death for, and hear it for free whenever you want and do nothing. Stop doing that. It has to become real. Who is that person? We must understand that we all have a gift and a calling and it must collide and it must funnel into discipleship. You've got to give your life away. Stop holding on to it. You've got to get off the sidelines because people are dying. Here's the second question. If you don't have someone, my question is, who are you going to start pursuing in your local context within an attachment in your life? If they're here... And it's discipling them deeper. If you have wisdom to share, you need to do that. If it's not here and they're an attachment, begin to walk with them. That may be overwhelming to you. We can't have a sermon on discipleship today. But I would encourage you to talk with me or Pastor Jack. We want to help you start discipling someone. You're living a half-life if you're not giving yours away. Okay? Here's the second question. Who is your one person in 2020 that you will be discipled by. Both are communicated loudly in the Gospels. Jesus discipled them, and he very soon called, after a season, he called them to disciple others. Both should happen for the rest of your life. You do not want to be living without someone discipling you. That's a dangerous, dangerous game. We all need someone to encourage us and mentor us, guide us, sometimes rebu rebuke us, and help us grow in our wisdom, in our stature. Hey, if you are, have become a seasoned in life, you're 60 and 70, 80, you are not done being discipled. You are not done. We are all in a baking process. We're all kind of half-baked. And until the Lord takes away our final breath, we want to be cooking. And part of the ways we want to be cooking is having people who can help us and add ingredients into our little stove that we can't do on our own. People can bring things into your life that you cannot bring into your own. Okay? Will you intensely pursue someone this year? If you know who that person is, and you're like, man, I'm being discipled and mentored in a real way by this person. That's great. Write their name down. Thank God, trust me, I haven't always said that. Thank God you have someone discipling you. Let them know, you, uh, share your gratitude, folks, that someone has invested into you and is discipling you. Pray for those who are mentoring and discipling you. But if you have no one, and I don't mean, oh, well, um, I'm being discipled by uh, Pastor Brandon. Um, well, I'm Pastor Brandon. No, <laughs> not really. I'm pastoring you, I'm discipling you corporately. But let's talk about what discipleship means in this context. It means someone is in your life in such a way that they can say what you're doing is wrong. Or they can encourage you and spur you on to say what you're doing, do more of. That requires time. That requires sharing your story. 
that requires spending time on a regular basis. Therefore, who is discipling you on a regular basis that knows you deep enough to spur you on right things and to rebuke you when they see wrong things? If you don't have that established, I'm asking you, and the Bible is calling you to sow that seed of discipleship. Who are you going to disciple in 2020? And who are you going to be discipled by? Now, that's going to require a couple of things when it comes to our comfort. Let's talk about that. It's going to require you to change your life rhythms, your habits, and perhaps any reservations you have for either discipling someone or being discipled. Let's talk about discipling someone and the reservations that can occur. One of the major things that stops us from discipling someone else is the feeling of inadequacy. Not good enough, smart enough, wise enough, haven't been Christian long enough, haven't stopped sinning enough. Your ability to disciple someone is not predicated on how holy you are. It has everything to do with how obedient you are to God. You can be in the midst of your own trial and God can use you based upon your obedience and faith in him. Now, as you mature as a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian, how you disciple will also grow, and it will also mature. But the only way to get in the game is to start. And so wherever your start point is may look different, but what's true of everybody in this room is that we all have a start point, and God's calling the start point to be now. And so if you don't know how to activate that in your life, again, please talk to one of the pastors here, and we will sit down with you and hear more about your story, what's going on in your life, and say, hey, this is what we believe and we're prayerfully thinking is a good start point for you. But let me be very clear. As your lead pastor, I'm asking you, starting not next month, but this month, to begin sowing a seed of discipling one person in 2020. Know who that is. And I'm asking you to make sure that you are picking one person to be discipling you and mentoring you. Take that exhortation seriously, folks. It can mean everything for us. Here's our second thing, our second seed that we want to sow. We are called to sow seeds of finances. Repeat after me. We are called to sow seeds of finances. We are called to sow seeds of finances. So the first seed in the finances that we want to be kind of marked by to sow is regular tithing. Regular tithing. That's on the screen for you. So let's start with some, some real basics. Simply put, tithing is to give the first 10% of your income that we would give to God, specifically through the local church. Okay, It's not 10% to a club or organization. Tithing, the biblical principle for tithing, is to give 10% of what you have to God, and we give it to God through His church. Now, even though we don't live decisively under the Old Testament prescription of the Old Testament, what I so love about this whole concept of, of tithing is that it's specifically about money. And this is super important. Um, we are definitely living in a time and a day and age where we want to make our what it means to, to do a lot of being generous very, very wide, and it should be. We talked about in DNA marked by generosity. It's not only about money. Money and finances is one way we are marked by generosity. But what I love is that tithing is specifically centered on your financial resources. Okay? That's, that's really important because it does two things. It frees us and our affections 
from the love of money, right? It talks about that in First uh, Timothy chapter 6. It explains, it declares about the roots of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Remember we talked about that? Like a root system, at least to all kinds of deception. So when you are tithing 10%, whether you have to or not, we're going to get to that, when you tithe 10%, it's freeing you up and your affections from loving it too much. Does that make sense? It's freeing you up from being a slave to it. But it's also doing something else. It's moving you out of the natural, broken, broken because of Eden, Shalom was broken, out of the posture of selfishness, and it moves you into selflessness. The very first message I ever spoke at 19 years old. A movement out of selfishness into selflessness. There's no greater way. Literally, there's no greater way to begin that process out of self-centeredness into selflessness than to give God the first 10% of your income. Because this is everything to God, knowing that he has not your money. He doesn't need your money. He's rich, but your heart. And the Word of God says that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be found. And so it, it demonstrates to God and reveals to you where your heart's at. Make sense? Now, not only does your tithe help you to depend more on God and to move your heart away from being selfish and, and, and having money be the direct, power source of, the direct power source of your happiness and your joy and your sense of identity and all these things, but it also provides three things for God's purposes, specifically for his church. And I want to look at these things that it would specifically do for Redemption City Church in a very practical way. I don't want to try to make this more spiritual than it needs to be. I want to talk practically now about what it means to trust God with your 10% and how that plays out. I want to remove the mystery, guys. A lot of times it's, there's a mystery around church finances. It shouldn't be that way. It should be plain and simple and clear. We shouldn't be able to go into the natural world and see clarity in business plans, right? You ever seen that? So it's clear. It's clear. This is the budget. This is what it costs. This is what we're going to do. And then we go to church, which is supposed to be God stuff, which is supposed to be we do at the highest level. All of a sudden, it's shadowy and it's, it's, it's very mystical. And, you know, pastor, don't want to talk. You know, pastor, what is our budget? Oh, it depends on the Holy Spirit. No, what's the budget? <laughs> Jeez, Louise, what is the budget for the church? I want, I, I want to lead us in a clear clear way. And so here are the three key things tithing provides for Redemption City Church. Here they go. Number one, the lease costs, future building fund, which we're targeting for August, and ministry resources. So whether it's a lease or a building, when you're tithing, it's going towards that. It's going towards resources, okay? Another thing it does, um, I was preparing for this message and I was talking to Someone and there was and, and sharing some of what I was going to be doing. They're like, "Wow, um, it's not. This is very simple. It's very plain. It's not like I, I kind of know these things, but I think I've been in church for 17 years, and I, I don't know if our, our church has ever just kind of laid it out in a plain way." I was like, "Wow, that's 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 crazy. Let's let's make that happen for redemption very soon. Let's not even cross over a year. Let's just talk. Let's just be normal." Okay. Number two, to provide financially for the pastors who labor in love. Because we can't keep doing offerings. Pastor Jack does such a great job, right? He's coming up, he's, he's leading us in offering. Let's just have a conversation so we can understand why he's doing this every Sunday to lead us in offering. So when we're doing this, it's gonna, you're providing for the pastors of our church. I have absolutely, I, you know what's funny? Um, when, as I've been uh, maturing as a, as, a, as a young man, as a pastor going into my 14th year, it's, it's amazing to me how many things I was stuttering about and felt so insecure to talk about from this pulpit and how 
Um, I really don't have that anymore. And it's not because I'm, I feel like I know the Bible more, I'm so much more gifted or anything. You know what? It's all about the heart. I think that when, once you understand what God is doing, and you see it in Scripture, you don't have to be nervous. I can proclaim very simply, and I'm going to open this up right now about the pastors, even though I'm talking about myself, because it's just what God is calling us to. There's nothing to be afraid about in these conversations. So let's talk. I right now make $4.75 an hour on a 32-hour work basis. For those of you who are good at math, that means I make $608 a month. Okay? Pastor Jack makes $2.50 an hour. All right? And so when we both left our job to sunrise, let's just say we took a hefty pay cut. <laughs> okay? Uh, oh, what that breaks down for Pastor Jack is $320 a month. Okay? We have one more person that receives a stipend um, who does all of our video, all those vi um, our sermons, and puts them together. And she receives a, a, a grandiose stipend of $80 a month, okay? Um, and she puts in a significant time to put our video sermons together. Folks, do you understand that the typical church plant does not start having offering video sermon platform until their third year? And we've had it since almost day one. God has done so many, so much in our church because we have big people. Big people. Pastor Jack is a big dude. He's not the tallest person, but, but he has big, he's big faith, big, big guy, right? Um, my sister is just a, a big person for the kingdom. That's why she spends all this time putting our videos together from California. She, we have an archive of stuff going on that you guys don't even see in California. We have big people in our church doing big things. But here's the thing. God's called us as a church to take care of our pastors. This is why. This is Pastor Jack's first love. This is Pastor Jack's labor. He spends 30, 40. There's times where he, I, I, I track his hours. There's times where he's put in 55 hours a week. There's times where I have put in 85-hour work weeks, especially in the beginning, to get us off the ground. I have Aiden. I have Aubrey. I have a wife. I have medical bills. These things are important. God has not put a burden on He's given you an amazing opportunity to know exactly where your resources can be sown. And it can be sown into freeing up Pastor Jack to study more, to spend more time doing God's stuff. But it also impacts his wife. It impacts my wife. And you've been given this amazing opportunity. Do you see how, do you see how healthy and normal this can be? This is not scary. You've been given this amazing opportunity to bless our lives. Because, and, and then even deeper, to be obedient to God because he's called you to do that. That's what your tithing does. And then number three, it empowers us to reach our city. It takes money to make this world go round. Something my dad used to tell me, it's not a very like biblical way of saying it, but it's very true. My dad has wisdom. Huh? Money makes the world go round. Yes, money does. And we want to be stewards of money so we can help the gospel go around. <laughs> we want the gospel to go around, and money is a great way to do that. And so we want to lean in and to do those things. So here's the big question. Here's the big question. Number one, if you're a person who's not tithing yet, as, a, as an individual or as a family, if you're not tithing yet, will you take your next step? Not in three months, not, oh, wait, wait. Um, Pastor, I, I, I thank you for tonight's message. It really, really impacted me. And uh, I'm going to just really pray to God. And I'm going to explore what the God of the universe has for me. Okay. 
what the God of the universe has for you has been laid out in Scripture already. He said it loudly. This is you don't there's, you don't need to fast. What you need to ask is, are you ready to be obedient to Him? Are you ready to be obedient to what God has already called you to? You know what's so great about the God of the universe? A lot of times, you don't have to pray so hard. Did you know that? Did you know that it is not that hard to pray? Because we don't have to walk around trying to figure out what God desires for us all the time. All we have to do is spend time in our Word of God because most things are explained already and prayer then becomes, God, help me to be obedient. God, help me to have trust. God, help me in my doubt. And it turns into that becomes your main prayer life. And you move away from God, what do you want to God help me with what you've declared? Okay. So if, if you are not tithing, will you take your next step now and trust God with your tithe? With the 10% of your income. Pastor, I have a question. These are all the questions that come up and people are really scared. And I mean, I've had experiences at Reach Worship Center in California where like it's this whole thing. They're like, can I take you out to lunch? I'm like, sure. How, how nice, you know? We get there and I'm feeling like there's an agenda. I don't know what the agenda is. And, and, I mean, so they've spent $35 on a very delicious meal. They didn't have to do all this. They're, we do this whole thing and then finally I'm, they're struggling to get it out. I'm like, hey, do you, just, you want to talk to me about something? Yeah, I just, this is a true story. Um, I don't really know how to, how to say this. I'm like, well, just say it. Um, so I was thinking about tithing. You know, I'm ready to do that. Or I've been doing this for five or six months or five or six years. But um, I, I tithe out of, my, out, of my, out of my net income, not my gross. Uh, is God okay with that? Or, or, or vice versa. And then I, I look at them and I say, um, so are you tithing? So are you tithing out of your gross? Yeah, okay. All right, well, that's, that's awesome. Oh, you're tithing out of your net income. Okay, that, that, that's great. So you, see, you see, God is after what's going on in your heart. I'm going to ask some questions. Well, why are you choosing to tithe out of your net income? Or why are you choosing to know your gross? And, and then let's, let's talk wisely about what's motivating in that. Now, if you're being motivated to tithe because it's cheaper, <laughs> right? Uh, well, I don't have to give as much. That's a condition of the heart. See what I'm saying? It's not legalistic. It's... Jesus is attacking what's going on here. It's not about the specificity of what you're doing up here. If you can tithe faith that are gross, you should do that. Your whole gross. If you're talking about what you take home, then you should do that. But you should explore what's happening in the heart. Are you willing to transfer your faith and hope to God with all you have by just giving him 10%? What about if you're already tithing faithfully to Redemption City Church? Here's my big question for you. Will you take your next step and trust God beyond your tithe? Will you trust God beyond your tithe to help this church grow? You maybe never even thought about that as a category. You may have thought, I'm doing my 10%, I'm done. Are you willing to tithe beyond? I mean, are you willing to tithe beyond to help this church? church grow. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 7 to explore what the word of the Lord talks specifically about this kind of bountiful giving, being bountiful, giving beyond. This is the point. Now I added this little little great part so you can understand what's happening before. This is referring to the whole concept of how the believer should give so that we can not spend too much time in this text. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So you want to talk about the most biblical principle? It's not about 10%. It's not about 5%. It's about giving. So you might, oh, thank God. Whew, I just needed to hear that. My whole, I've always wanted someone to tell me that I didn't have to give 10%. Actually, for most people, when you really get to the core of what God's asking, if you are giving all that you can, it's more than 10%. That's what we're going to see. Here we go. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly. That's why you're going to see our offering in Wolves. I don't know if they've come out yet, but it talks about that. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I wanted to give you a couple examples of that that we had at Reach Worship Center um, uh, when I was just going through that season. There were cheerful, cheerful givers. As that church plant was kind of growing and, and, and becoming what it would become, there were about 18 families who decided that they were going to give for two years double tithes. They gave beyond the tithe. They said, hey, pa- Pastor Alfred, we want, to, we want to give beyond the tithe, and our family is going to dedicate this next year we're going to tithe 20% to this church because we understand that it takes money and resources to help the church grow and we can make that happen. It's going to cost us. It's going to, we're going to risk some comfort. It's going to adjust our life. But we want to do that because we believe in this church and the vision it is. And this is what helped to catapult Redemption City Church. There's also a church in the Bible Belt, in the Bible Belt who had 14 families who for 18 months, I want to share this with you, 18 months to help the church go off the ground, gave 20% of their income. This is what the Lord did. This is what the Lord did with their sowing. That church doubled in size and moved into a modest building within the first two years of their church plant, which is very radical. And they eventually were able to purchase it and own it within their seventh year. But it started with the first seed of families who said, "We're going to give beyond the tithe, twenty percent." A second story is the Mission Church in Renton, Washington. Actually, um, as a young church plant of eighty people, this is crazy. 80 people did this, okay? 80 people. This is amazing what God does. Way bigger when we walk in faith with what we have. Um, The Mission Church raised and gave $16,000 to plant 16 churches. They were a young church themselves, 80 people. But they found a way to give away $16,000 to plant 16 churches in Sierra Leone. Very small churches. Sometimes they had eight or nine people in them. When they had grown to 110 people, so when that church went from 80 to 110 people, they raised and gave an additional $37,000 to provide seminary training teaching at the two for each of the pastors of the 16 churches. Folks, this is written to Washington. Their church, uh, this church planning, um, the work they did not only provided that, but then they purchased a modest building for themselves. So let, 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 let's put this all together. Before they even owned their own building, they were radically generous, giving more than their tithe, building other churches, trusting that God would build their church. As they built other churches, God was on display. So as we prepare to grow and go, we need to understand that we are now in that same part of our season. We're moving into our seventh, eighth month as a church. God has brought us to this point based upon what you guys have been doing as a church faithfully leaning in and giving on a regular basis, and I'm asking you, are you willing to give beyond 
your time. We are going to need at some point a permanent nursery for our children, I mean, a nursery for babies to be able to have a, a place to, to spread their little legs out and to cry. We're going to need our children to have a rural space they can own. We don't have that. And honestly, we need to have a place where we can start at least working towards not having to set up and tear down as much. It puts a lot of load on Joseph and the truck ministry. We want to start to work towards these things. We want to bring you guys into a, a home church um, that we can really, really start to own. And that's requiring us to explore, are we willing to give more? Now, I want to talk about some of the roadblocks, specifically three roadblocks that we need to march over today, tonight, financially. Okay, and I'm just going to lead into them. So before we can really talk about where we're going far, we have three right now roadblocks that I want to see God moving in our church tonight and I want to see if we can be radical and, 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 and that God can move and we can solve these things this week okay here they go number one the start church fund this is going to cost three thousand dollars we have been um, faithfully stewarding and saving up um, money that has come in through your guys' tithing and offering towards that. And so we have about $1,000 so far that's um, already been put into an account towards this Start Church Fund. Our, but our desire as a church is that we will be able to raise that money this week so that that $1,000 that we've saved can be moved back into another account to prepare for the things that God has for us in the future. Okay? So we need to purchase this Start Church Fund for $3,000. What is the Start Church Fund? This is our ability to continue to take the right steps we need financially, legally, to be an established church. This is a company that's been around for over 80 years. They have, they have helped with a 100% success rate make sure that churches are set up for not just right now, but for the next 30 or 40 years to be able to stand in tension with the ever-changing laws and systems financially with our 501c3 so that things happen accordingly for your taxes. This is what allows us to take our steps to um, have our ordination process so that I'm not the only one that's ordained here in this church so that I can then be empowered legally to do that for Pastor Jack and um, for Ezekiel as he grows in his position. This is going to free us up the church so that when we start to have weddings, there's a lot of things that our church needs to do. So this is a church team of lawyers, okay, it's a ministry team of lawyers who we'd be hiring to make sure that everything is done with high-level integrity, okay? If you want to know more about that, you can talk to me about that on the side. The second thing is a general technology and equipment fund. So we have that in place already, but we want to raise more money in there so we can begin to prepare for our next season and the different purchases that we need to have, okay? So we're trying to raise $1,200 for our equipment and general technology. Right now, there's a lot of things we do that takes a lot longer because we don't really have the technology to do it. So we're doing things like the slow way, faithfully, with joy, but there's ways we can kind of speed that up so that me and Pastor Jack can become more pastoral and, and, and not like media team members, okay? And then finally, that beautiful big TV screen that you guys saw at Pastor Jack's house, yeah, that cost money. And so um, here's why I want to be open as a pastor. Me, me and my wife, we, we, we bought that by faith, believing that we knew, because we couldn't wait. We were like, man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna buy this TV. We're going to believe by faith that our church is going to be able to raise these funds. And if it works out, we'll be able to put it back. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to wait. We need a TV. We can't get into the Arbory. We're at Pastor Jack's house. Let's get the things we need to get so that we can continue to move forward as a church. We didn't want that to be a roadblock. And so that TV screen, we want to raise $800 for that. So this comes to a total of five 
$5,000 that we're hoping that you, we as a church can raise this week to take care of all these things, especially the Start Church Fund. If we start this, oh, I have a, a, an appointment scheduled coming into the beginning of next week. We want to be able to be ready for that appointment so that we can begin the seven-month process of fully establishing our church legally, okay? So you guys can talk to me about that later. Here's the next thing I want to talk about. It's called Project Home Base, okay? Project Home Base. We are looking to raise... $30,000 by August of 2020. And we're going to be beginning this process in February. So we'll talk about that. There'll be a way to give strategically to Project Home Base. So this is all the ways that you can give beyond your tithe. Now, let me be very, very clear. If you are not tithing yet, it's super important. I want you to, I want you to focus with me. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about what you see on the screen. Focus. If you're not tithing, I'm asking you to, to, to start there. It's so important that you trust God with that 10%. That's your first step. It's, we have such a bad habit in our culture of giving $100 there, $200 there. Generous people doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. Folks, take the step of trusting God. Now, here, here's what I want to invite you into. This is going to be very uncomfortable. It's a warning. Right now, if you're getting a little bit frustrated and you're like, I don't need you to try to control this whole this narrative, this 10%. I give, and I know I give well. I've given $500 to this church. I've had moments where I've given $300 to this church. And you don't even know the things that I do in my life. I give to Red Cross on this day, and I'm supplying this missionary on your terms. When you feel like it, when you deem, you're, you're deeming it's wise. You're deeming that person's worthy of the money, but this person's not. What, God, what God's calling you to do is to give up control. To give up control and say, God, I'm trusting you to steward this money. I'm trusting you through this church to steward this money. I'm trusting you through this church that the money's going to be spent well. So before you give above and beyond, give your first seed through tithing. If you are already a regular tither, I'm asking you, and I believe, I believe the Word of God is calling you to look for ways to give beyond just the bare minimum. To give bountifully. We just looked at that. So the two ways that you can give bountifully if you're already tithing is help us raise these, this $5,000 this, this week. I want to stand before you guys or sit before you guys next Sunday and say we did it. And I want to have a big, a big party about that. And then starting in February, I want you to explore how you might start giving beyond your tithe to Project Home Base. Here, here's, here, here's a vision of how that would look and how that could occur. If, did you know, if 10 people in our church, just can you think, Pastor, this, what kind of, this is too much of an ask. We can't raise $30,000 $30, by August and do $5,000 in just one week and give tithing. I don't have all this money in the world. I want to point you wisely back to these stories. 80 people gave $16,000 away in a year. The next year, 37,000 planted churches because they trusted God with the resources. Resource Center did the same thing because they trusted God and gave double, they, they gave 20% tithing for a year. We can do this. Now, look at the power of what happens when we trust God. Here's some numbers for you, for those who like numbers. If uh, 10 people gave beyond 10%, which is $425, so if giving beyond 10% was $425 for you, so if you, so let's say you're tithing, whatever you're tithing, whatever you're tithing, and you said, beyond my tithe, I'm going to contribute $425 a month to Redemption City Church between now and August. 
we would raise the $30,000 with 10 people. But let's see what happens if more people get in the game at Redemption. If 20 people gave beyond 10%, which would equal $215. So whatever your tithing is, if above that you contributed $215 a month, if 20 people did that, we'd reach our goal. But let's talk about the next level, because we actually have people, we have 30 people that regularly circulate through our church. So let's look at this number. If 30 people gave beyond their tithe, it would be $145. If 30 of us said, we're going to give $145 every month for eight months beyond our tithe, not in place of our tithe, we would reach our goal for Project Home Base. Now let's talk about Project Home Base for a minute. What is Project Home Base? Project Home Base is our ability to have enough money to fully step in. This is, you can't buy a building with this. this is, we're, we're taking a faithful step. $30,000 to confidently step in aggressively to our next church location. If that means we're leasing a building, it means truly getting what we need, locking in, securing it for multiple years, and taking that step. And that's enough money. If the Lord really opened a door for a unique type of purchase, we will be able to take that step as well. Okay? There's more information about this as well. Anybody is welcome to talk to me or Pastor Jack about these things. Project Home Base is so important, and we want to march towards August with an expectation that we're going to be in our next location, hopefully for the next couple years. We love the Arbory. Our time at the Arbory is coming up. Our time at the Arbory will be coming up, and we need to be thinking about where God is going to plant our church. And this is a way, this is a way for us to get there. Here's number three. We are called to sow seeds of service. We are called to sow seeds of service. Here's my question. What is your part? What is your part in serving our church? Are you serving on a regular basis? My next question is this. Will you let us help you discover what your part is here? Will you pursue Pastor Jack, our Connections Pastor, and let him help you get connected in our church? And Caitlin, will you pursue them so that they can help you get connected? Are you willing to joyfully jump in the game and help our church grow on a regular basis? At the end of the sermon, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to all these things. Now, let's march through these, these last principles, because really, principle one is the, is the main one that we have to really sit in. These are more some quick exhortations. Here's principle number two when it comes to sowing and reaping. That's super, super important. God controls the blessings according to his purposes. God controls the blessings according to his purposes. This is important. Look, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 12, you don't have to turn there, it talks about how Isaac sowed a crop and received a hundredfold um, in one season because the Lord targeted him for a blessing. Now consider this. Israel experienced yearly blessings from God as they faithfully gave their first of the harvest to the Lord as an offering. We see that in Exodus 23 and Leviticus as well. So here's the thing. God controls the blessings according to his purposes. So the first thing we have to understand about sowing and reaping is when we sow, we have to trust God to do what he thinks is best according to his purposes. We can't control what doors open. We can't control what building we're going to be in. We can be faithful. We can explore. But ultimately, God controls the blessings. Here's principle number three. Sowing and reaping is also a part of the spiritual law. Okay? 
This is not just a, it's not just a physical thing. It's more than just an agricultural principle. It's an axiom of life. It's the way that we reap and what we sow. This is, it happens in a spiritual way. When we sow things in people's lives, we're going to reap blessings. Because I didn't do it for this purpose, but when I sowed all those seeds in Resource Center to all those young men and young women, I reaped. When I got hurt and me and my family went down, I had a whole army of people I discipled who wanted to be a part of that. They flew me back and forth up here to get treatment because I had sown good seeds. There are natural, the Word of God says this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. Listen up. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. That is powerful. What a warning. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There are natural consequences for our actions. If we sow by faith into our church, we can literally expect God to grow it. Here's principle number four. Sowing and reaping implies patience as we confidently wait. Sowing and reaping implies patience. Just like an agricultural standpoint, things don't grow overnight, folks. And being in a church plant requires patience. We have to confidently wait. Nothing good grows overnight. Here's a cool quote from an agricultural magazine. I'm going to read it to you. The farmer must... I didn't even know they had these. It's funny what you can explore in a sermon prep, okay? The farmer must be patient in order to see the fruit of his labors. If he grows frustrated prematurely and abandons his field, his lack of attention to the crops will cause it to wither away and die before its time. I was like, that's so biblical. <laughs> Think about that. We, as a type of farmer, we, farmers, we must be patient. And we have to wait to see the fruit. But if we are impatient and we give, and we give this, okay, we did this 5,000, but what? I don't see. I'm not seeing anything. I'm giving every month towards Project Home Base, but I'm not seeing anything. If we abandon our giving too early, we won't see the benefit. Okay? Therefore, we have to trust in God's timing to activate our reaping and focus on our sowing. Principle five. What we reap is loudly interconnected to what we sow, okay? What we reap is loudly interconnected to what we sow. Hey, if you plant apple seeds, you should expect a what? An apple tree, okay? We can't, if we don't sow financially, folks, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna not make it too mystical. If we, if, if we do not increase our giving and tithing, how can we pray every Sunday, say, God, grow our church, Part of the way that God grows our church is through resources. He lays out biblically how we should use our resources. So if we want to see God move, we have to first be obedient to what God says about how God moves. So we need to understand that how we sow is interconnected dramatically to what we get to reap. To the degree that we sow, we can expect to reap. Principle six, what we reap is often proportionate, we just talked about this, to what we sow. So as we're marked by generosity, we can expect to be blessed. Remember what we said in 2 Corinthians? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously should also expect to be what? To, to reap generously. I believe that we have people in our church that want to see our church grow. We have to be ready to do that in a major, major way. Part seven, because of Christ, 
we reap more than what we sow. This is the coolest part. This is like we get into the, the Gospels and we see what he did with, with just a little bit of fish and bread and how he made much of that. So, that. so even though it's true that what we give is dramatically connected to what we sow, because of Christ who gets involved, we can expect to reap far more than we could ever, ever sow. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew when he said that seed brought forth a hundred times what it was sown because it fell on good soil. That's what I said. We need to be prepared to sow at the right time, at the right season, at the proper place. I believe by faith that we're in the right season of our church to give at the right time towards these two aims. The $5,000 ask for this week and project home base. So I want to end with this verse tonight, and I want you to think about this. This is coming out of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 6. Verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now I want you to focus on something. It's going to be on your screen. In the morning, you see how that's underlined in bold? Refers to your strength. Your, jo you being your joyful, happy times when your heart is in it. Things like that. In the morning is when you're strongest. It's when you're, it's easier to access your happiness. Why? Because at the end of the day, you've been spent out. Just naturally your energy. It's saying, hey, in the morning, sow your seed. Do it in your strength. Do it with joy. Do it when you can activate it. Sow in the morning. But here's the powerful, here's the powerful, look at this. And at evening withhold not your hand. L let's do it this way. When you're weak, when you feel like you can't, there's times in our lives where it's so easy to give. It's easy to give in the morning. It is so hard to give in the evening. It's so hard to give when you feel like you can't, when you're tired, when you feel like you're being spit out by the world, even financially in hardships. It is so hard for me to figure out ways to find new creative ways to give to the church with so much going on in my life and medical bills. But it's like, Brandon, do not withhold yourself in the, in the hard times in the evening. Both are important. Give when, it's, when you're strong. Don't stop when everything in you wants to stop. For you do not know which will prosper. Come on, the word of God is amazing. Do you know that you can give your whole life and your strength in the morning, but, it may, but God may be waiting for one of those evenings, that, 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 that last gift you think you can't do, that's the one God might say, I'm blowing this one up. So because we're not God, how do we do that well? We do both. <laughs> give when it's easy, give when it's not, because you never know which gift God's going to make much of and blow up and to do something massive for the kingdom. So as I call Vanessa up to begin to play, before we play worship, she's going to be playing some music and we're going to be handing out some discipleship cards. Um, Pastor Jack is. And so we're going to have a little bit of a corporate time to explore uh, what you can intentionally commit to as an individual or a family. And so these discipleship cards that are being handed out look like this. They have our mission statement on the front. And we're almost done tonight. On the back, you're going to fill your name out. Um, and, and below, there are three categories of sowing seeds of discipleship. We're going to walk through this together as a family, as Vanessa is just kind of playing um, the, the song and 
we prepare for all that God has for us. Let's talk about, and then make sure everybody has a pen as well. So we're going to talk first about sowing seeds of discipleship. I want you to focus right now. It's just you and God. And I want you to answer these questions faithfully. Let's make sure our tech department has what they need. Number one, sowing seeds of discipleship is etched into creation. Will you take a faith step and commit to pursuing one person to disciple? I want you to, I want you to make a decision. Is that a yes? Is that a no? Or do you need to talk a little bit more to one of the pastors? We'd love to meet with you. And we're gonna, we're gonna collect these discipleship cards at, at the end of today. Are you ready to take that step? Or do you need to maybe speak with us? Here's the next question. Will you take a faith step and commit to being discipled by someone who can help you grow into the image of God? So yes, no, or do you need to maybe spend some time and talk to one of the pastors so we can help you think about this? I want you to make a decision. I think, it's, I think there's appropriate times to go home and to spend a week in the fast, but you know what? There's something about making decisions in the moment with God that's important. Thank you. I want you to do what the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Sowing seeds of finances, bountifully and cheerfully giving. Will you take a faith step and trust God with your tithe? That means 10% of your income as a family or an individual helping to build this church. It's a yes or it's a no. If you already are, please say, I already am. This is going to help us so we know how to respond to these cards. Yes means you're ready to. No means you're not. I am. I already am means you're, letting, you're acknowledging that this is something you're already doing. Or maybe you're ready to increase beyond your 10%. Or you can talk to one of the pastors more and we'll reach out to you. I want you to make a decision. Yes, yeah, talk as families. Take a faith step and trust God by moving beyond your tithe and joining us in our Reach It Today goal of $5,000. We're needing to raise this $5,000 this week for those three categories. Yes, no, or do you need us to reach out so we can talk a little bit more about it? And if you are, would you, would you mind specifying that amount? We won't be collecting any money today. We will follow up with you. I know this may be very, very different, especially on a final. You really want us to make a decision right now? Yeah. What can you give?
Will you take a faith step and trust God by moving beyond the type towards giving to the big target goal, Project Home Base, beginning in February? Yes, no. Or you can talk and we can reach out to you. If so, we don't have a blank for that. Would you specify? It doesn't have a little blank. I apologize about that. Could you just write somewhere in that area if you want to give towards the big target of Project Home Base? Just somewhere in that area. If you're circling yes, what are you willing to give each month beyond your tithe? If you can write that number down, we will, we, we're going to follow up with you. sowing seeds of service. Will you take a faith step and trust God by volunteering and serving in our church on a regular basis? Yes, no, or would you like one of the pastors to reach out to you? Take a moment to finish up that card and in a moment I'm going to invite us to stand and as we're finishing worship, um, Ezekiel um, will collect all these cards. As we prepare to end our service, I just want to say corporately on behalf of me and Pastor Jack as pastors of this church that we are really grateful to be able to have each and every one of you a part of Rim City Church. We, it's an honor for us to serve you. Thank you for let, letting us go through these growing pains, guys. So we have long conversations right now as a church plant. You know, we, we have longer, we have a lot to talk about. It's like a family coming together. And we are preparing for an amazing future. And what you guys are doing are preparing for people that you have no idea of five, six years down the road, all of your labor, all of your love, all of your sweat and tears, I believe it's not going to be wasted. Let's stand and let's pray.